play. play it. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. League specific news, information, and stats with your obnoxious commissioner, Maddie C. G'day, it's Matty C here, the obnoxious commissioner of the Astro League and the owner GM of the Carabao Kings franchise. For those of you who might be new to the show, what is the Astro League? It's a 16-team NFL fantasy league, and it has some weird scoring. Firstly, you get a half a point per reception for anyone who catches a ball. Quarterbacks who pass a touchdown get six points for that. Uh, you also get a point for 300 yards of passing. You also get a bonus point too for 100 yards of rushing, and 100 yards receiving will also attract an extra point. This league's a bit of a unicorn because of a few things. It's that unique size at 16 teams. It does have that weird scoring, but it's all owned by Aussie players. So the way we describe it is that it is NFL, it is fantasy, and it's Aussie. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Astro League Podcast. And this being the Thursday show, we've got plenty on. We're going to go back over the week nine recap. We're going to have a look at some transactions, trades, and news through the league. We've moved Taylor Talk up into the Thursday episode because I'm looking forward to what he has to say about last week's calls and this week's waiver wire and things happening around in the league based on the way Taylor sees it. And then also we have the Week 10 preview, which is going to be great. I can't think of anywhere better to start at knowing that Taylor's coming on than just calling this one out. After that horrible, horrible 0-5 start, he's now clawed his way back to 3-6. and And you know what's great about that? From 88 career starts, he's now 44-44. and He has attained Jeff Fisher Zen. Oh. Another news item from the league this week is that Ryan, who is the... GM, owner of the Cornhuskers franchise, sadly chalked up his 50th career loss this week. It's not all bad news. He does have an 80 and 50 career win-loss record. So he made headlines last week with that 80th win, and he makes headlines again this week with his 50th loss. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. Look, I can't think of a better place to move now than into some injuries because there were some notable ones, and I've kind of put them in order of fantasy impact. Firstly, no bigger than Christian McCaffrey. He comes straight back and has a blinder of a game, but injures his shoulder late in the game. He's seen on the sideline wincing. He's coming in and out of the game. Things aren't going so well. He has been labeled as day-to-day by Panthers coach Matt Rule. So I think you're just going to have to watch participation in training. And if you get a whisper that he's going, I think you've got to play him. Of course, DJ, my David Johnson, the one who I thought I was drafting and then got Duke Johnson, uh, I finally do enough trades to finally acquire him and I get not even a quarter of football out of him before he's ruled out of the Jags game with a concussion. It's a non-linear injury, so we don't know whether he's going to be okay to go this week, which ironically would make Duke Johnson a great pickup. Huh. Sadly, the same can be said for David Montgomery in at the Bears, a concussion late in the game. Again, a non-linear injury. We just don't know how long this is going to hang around for him. And it does mean that should these guys miss this coming week and players who suffer a concussion are increasingly missing the following week, uh, it does mean that in that Bears backfield, there is a whole bunch of junk happening. You may see contributions by guys like Ryan Knoll, or Cordero Patterson might find himself a bigger role. There has been some talk of elevating people from practice squads as well. So it'll just be interesting to see where that one goes, and I want you to keep your eye on it. Another one who did have a concussion test but was cleared for a concussion was Matt Stafford. Now, he spent a lot of the week on a COVID restriction and had to do all his workouts virtually until he got to the game, got into the game, and then has this head injury, has to come out of the game for quite a while, was cleared of it, and he should be fine to go back into the facility and train like normal this week. 
Three other big injuries were that Noah Fant re-aggravated his ankle injury. He was coming in and out of the game and Vic Fangio said that he should be okay. He will be a limited participant through most of the training this week. May even get a couple of rest days. So don't feel too nervous, but keep your eye on him. Dolphins wide receiver Preston Williams got carted off in what did not look great. A few tests showed that there was no break in his foot, but it does mean that we're looking at possibly a sprain. Now, this is the same kind of thing that we've seen Calvin Ridley struggling with. So it's not necessarily great news there isn't a break because we've just seen how much torment that that has played with Calvin Ridley this year. I keep an eye on Preston Williams and we wish him the best. And of course, Kyle Allen, who had that horrifically bad ankle injury. Again, another big Redskins ankle injury. Ironically, it is Alex Smith who relieves him and has to come into the game. I think this makes him NFL Comeback Player of the Year just for getting back on the field after his car wreck of an accident a couple of seasons ago. He is going to start for the Washington Redskins now, and it pulls Dwayne Haskins into being the backup, and it's a horrific injury for Kyle Allen. But no matter what happens here for Kyle Allen, I still do think that Alex Smith will just be the starter forevermore. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. Now, we have gotten through most of keeping up with what trades have happened in the league this year. The last one that we mentioned on the podcast was Wayne Gorman for Alan Lazard, and then also the Ryan Tannehill and Nelson Aguilar trade, which saw Ben Roethlisberger and Giovanni Bernard go to Playmaker, and Tannehill and Aguilar come to the Carabao Kings. Since then, we saw that Jonathan Taylor and Justin Jackson were involved in a trade straight up between the Birdmen and the Strokes. Vinegar Strokes, who were up to recently called the Fantasy Football Team, trading away the fairly recently acquired Jonathan Taylor just to go for the upside of Justin Jackson, who was then ruled out pretty early in the game against the Raiders and scored a zero. But tell you what, it didn't stop the Vinegar Strokes from getting their win. And Brinox Birdman, even though he did acquire Jonathan Taylor, it didn't help him out as he dropped a game this week. The only other trade to happen through the back of the week was that going for Tua and Struggle Town Sausage Dogs, this is Mark and Joel, made a move between them where Mark sent away Robert Woods in place of Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, and Joshua Kelly. So both of the Chargers running backs involved in transactions last week. Again, it didn't really help Mark as he bombed out and lost to Taylor and the Vinier Strokes. But, you know, Struggle Town, they must have done something right because they came away with a good win and they moved themselves up into a terrific spot in the playoff bracket, which we'll cover after the Week 9 recap. Haskins has just been an absolute... You could be understood for being, you know, skittish about that. Take Fournette out of the lineup. Yeah, mate, I would have robbed Jeremy's size boner going for him there. <laughs> Your in-depth knowledge of what it's like to be boned this year. Wes is going to have to realise that he's just playing like a ginger piece of shit. This is Taylor Nailed, I've got to say. So here's your games. Last week it was the East versus the North. Now the North come in, they haven't had a terrific season, but they actually put up a good show this week. $10 Booker comes in at 5-3. and three. He's the 3 in the overall and he puts up 91 points, which isn't terrific most weeks, but I've just got to put out there from the outset, the league average this week was under 96 points. It's a horrific week for scoring. His top scorers were Derek Carr with 17, Kamara with 13, A-Rob and uh, DeAndre Swift with 11 each. Not a terrific day out, but, you know, some really consistent stuff from guys there, just putting up scores that aren't embarrassing. He goes out and beats Ryan, the Cornhuskers, uh, and it drops them from a 4-4 four and four side down to 4-5, and five, and that, that's a pretty tough spot to be in considering Tyreek scored 29 points. Brandon Cook scored another 15. But what it does mean is his seven other starters only put up 38 points, which is horrendous. Number eight, Squazmongers, who are leading the North going into the week. They're four and four, and they go up against number 16, Brendox Birdman. 
This one here is a terrific game. Comes right down to it. Squazmongers put up 101 points on the back of Aaron Rodgers, 39. Jimmy Graham and Wayne Gorman both put up 14 points. Brendox Birdman, not as happy. He scores 92 on the back of Deshaun Watson's 26. But sadly, not a lot else from anybody else. Even the return of Michael Thomas, where he only puts up 7.6, really doesn't help out the Birdman the way he was expecting. And in a game where the Saints scored 38 points, you would have thought Michael Thomas would be more involved. But what it does for the Squazmongers is it moves them to 5-5 five and five all-time against Brendan. And this is a trend we're seeing more and more this season as teams who are reversing their horrible head-to-head against Brendan, kind of kicking him while he's down this year as he drops to 2 and 7. Jerry and the Gnomes, who came into the week in ninth spot, 4-4, four and four, go and put up a great score this week against 15th place El Chacal. They come into the week at 2-6 and six and can only manage 72 points. He did have two tight ends on his roster, both active, but both on the bench and didn't have one in the starting spot. It wouldn't have really mattered anyway because Kelsey, Fuller, Curtis Samuel and Matt Ryan all put up scores of over 20 to help Gnomes on his way to 123 points and a pretty comfy victory. Who moves to 5-4? and four. The last one in this East versus North smorgasbord is where Playmaker, who come into the week 4-4, four and four, meet Tim Tim's Crusaders. Now, Crusaders appeared on the podcast last week, and he was feeling pretty happy. He'd done a whole bunch of moves. He finds 22 points from Tua and Christian Kirk each. And, crazily, Tyler Bass is back with 13 points. It's enough, too, because he scores 101 and knocks off Kenny's playmaker side with 97. Devante Adams put up that 29 points on Thursday night football, and Terry McLaurin put up 22, but it just wasn't enough. He just needed a few more points in the cupboard from somebody else. He only manages 97. He drops to 4-5, and five, while Timmy improves to 4-5, and five, and it just serves to make the whole thing so much tighter. On the other side of the entire bracket, we've got the West going up against the South. Now, the West have been la creme de la creme this season, and... Sadly, they can only split the wins with the South and go two wins each division. We'll start with the number one overall seed Space Pirates who come into the week six and two. They're up against Justin and the Jizzpots in their first ever meeting. And the Jizzpots draw first blood. They were 4-4 four and four coming into the week, but dropped a massive 135 points and led all scorers. It was thanks to Kyler and Dalvin, who just absolutely blew the game apart. Jerry Judy's 23 points doesn't slow them down either, but gee, tell you what, Seahorse not so happy after he scores 22 from Russ, 21 from DK, 21 from Keenan Allen, finishes with 103 points in a week where the average is under 96. You'd feel like you should be doing pretty well there as a number one seed coming in and outscoring the average by a good fistful, but it's not enough as the number seven GS pots go and chalk up a big first win in this rivalry. Thank goodness we finally got a score on the board between these two, and it's nice to see the GS pots drawing first blood for the South. There was a big water bet riding on the next one as number two, Carabao Kings, with their 6-2 and two record, going against number four, Queensland football team, who come into the week five and three. These two have a bit of a historic jibe fest. Uh, myself and Adam have been at each other pretty much since the minute he came into the league. We both started 4-0 and oh the first year he was in and put a water bet on that one too, which I had to eat a cup of water on. This time round, 17 points from Diggs. 15 points from my newly acquired Ryan Tannehill, but then everyone else, I've just drawn a big thumbs down emoji next to it. It just stunk, and my team only rolled out 63 points, second worst in the whole week for the whole league. Adam's side, they would have beaten almost anybody. They scored 108 points this week on the back of 39 from Patrick Mahomes, another 19 from AJ Brown, and 12 from Hawkinson at tight end. He takes this rivalry out to 3-0 and in regular season play. I've had to put up the video of me copying a litre of water from each of my daughters, which was not the funnest thing I've had to do all week, but mate, when you make a bet, you pay up. 
This one looked like it was going to be a potential playoff matchup as Jiggity Jigs, who come in sixth place and six and two, hosted Jolio's Struggle Town Sausage Dogs, who come into the week five and three, fifth overall. A real good matchup. These two had been five and five head to head all time coming into this one. And with 36 from Josh Allen and 14 from Preston Williams before he went off hurt, it looked like the Jiggity Jigs were going to put up a good enough score. Unfortunately, his running backs put up just a little over nine points combined, and it was never going to be enough when Struggle Town went out with 32 from a newly reinstated Christian McCaffrey, 29 from Breeze, and another 12 from Gurley. Now, albeit that Christian McCaffrey got hurt, but gee, the damage was done. He winds up with 120 points. He's going to move to 6-3. Jiggity Jigs are going to drop to 6-3. The last matchup in this West versus South collision is number 12 place going for Tua, coming into the week 3 and 5 up against the Vinegar Strokes, newly renamed. They're 14th overall. They're 2-6. Things haven't gone well for either of these two teams, but this is essentially the old Coke Cup with Mark and Taylor having been colleagues working for Coca-Cola here in the ACT. This game was horrendous from go to woe. They combined to only put up 140 points, and it starts like this. For the Vinegar Strokes, his boy Jay Herbs rolls out a 26 to lead all scorers on both sides of this matchup, and he even gets almost 16 points from James Robinson at the Jaguars. I pointed this out to Taylor too, that in a league where you get a bonus point for 100 yards of rushing, trust his team to be the one with a 99-yard rusher who didn't even catch a pass all day. Anyway, he gets 15.9 points for that and his touchdown, and Josh Jacobs rolls out 13 points. So between those three, they roll up 55, but he can only manage... 82 points, so the rest of his other six starters only roll out 17. On the other side, though, when you think you're up against a team who's only going to score 82, you'd feel pretty good. And Juju had a great game, scored 18 points, majority of it in the second half against those Cowboys. But Tom Brady puts up the worst game I've seen him play. 0.64 points on the day against the Saints in what was essentially a preseason scrimmage for the Saints. They just tore the Buccaneers apart. It's a day that I think Mark would rather forget as he drops to 3-6. and six. Taylor jumps to 3-6 and six, and they flip spots in the overall with Taylor now moving into 13th and Mark dropping to 14th. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. All right, so I guess it's time to have a quick look at the standings here too, and the best way I think to go about it is look at them in divisions. Let's start with the North. It's at the top of the compass, and you get the Squaz Mongers leading this division. They have only scored 97.46 points per team per game this season in the North. And when Squaz Mongers lead this division at 5-4 and four with 913 points of scoring... Any other division leader and every other second place team in every other division would be at least that good. So this division is just going to be an absolute hellfire because the two teams below are Tim and Ryan, both on four and five. Tim, Tim's got 906 points and Ryan has 871. So it's a good 35 point break there between the Crusaders and the Cornhuskers. But then Jackal, who's at two and seven. Any other year, 2-7 and seven would rule you out. But have a look at this division. He's only three games behind with four games to play. It's unlikely, but he is still in it. Moving around, the Compass will go to the East, and they are scoring 99.03 points per team per game this year. They are led by $10 Booker, who was 6-3 with 959 points of scoring. They're looking pretty solid. That is a really, really good total of points, and it puts them not just a game ahead, but about 30 points ahead as well of Gnomes in second place at 5-4. and four. And sadly, because of the loss this week, Playmaker, that's Kenside, dropped two games behind Scuba at the top at 4-5. and five. This is one, though, where last place in the division essentially is the first team eliminated this year. 
really sorry, Brendo. Since you were on the show, your team has not scored at all, anywhere near close to average, and I think the show might have put an absolute curse on you. You've dropped to 2 and 7, 810 points, and at the moment, it looks like the best role you can play is just to be the chaos agent in the East Division. Let's move around to the South, who are the next highest scoring division at 104.07 points. It's led by Joel and the Struggle Town Sausage Dogs at 6 and 3, 952 points of scoring, looking solid. They've jumped into top spot after Carabao Kings took that bucket of water this week and dropped to 6 and 3 in that huge loss to the Queensland football team. 912 points of scoring, also not necessarily all that exciting considering we're 9 full weeks in. That's only 100 points a week, and it probably won't cut the mustard only scoring that if you want to show anyone that you're a threat. Underneath them, though, Jizzpot's 5 and 4, but have a look at this. 1,013 points of scoring. They're only the second team this year to cross the 1,000 barrier, and to have four losses with all that scoring just seems uncommon, so look out for them in this little late stretch of the year. Unfortunately, because of the way this is all going, though, going for Tua, who are only three games behind at 3 and 6, and in a similar position to El Chacal, the scoring is just nowhere near it. 869 points of scoring. It's going to be a bridge too far by the look of it. Finally, let's move into the West. All season, they've been the creme de la creme at 109 points of scoring per team per game in the league where we're currently averaging about 102. The Space Pirates, 6-3, and three, still lead that division, but now, once again, it's back on four and against. They have 1,121 points of scoring, which puts them a full 100 points clear of even the next best scoring team in the universe, let alone in their own division. Second place team in the division, though, has finally caught up in record. Six and three, and it's not the jiggity jigs like you might think. It's the Queensland football team, who after demolishing the Kings, look really set to just mow down anyone in their path. 963 points of scoring, and really looking the part. Jiggity jigs have fallen to third in the division. No shame, though, at five and four, they could lead other divisions, and with 928 points of scoring, they're definitely pulling their weight. And last in that division is the Vineyard Strokes. Now, they're not dead. They have got a 3-6 and six record, so they're three games behind, like pretty well every other team in every other division. But the problem they've got here is that already they're 50 points behind second place in the division in scoring. They're three wins behind that team, but they're also a mile behind the top scoring team in that division, more than 200 points. It just looks like it's going to be a bridge too far to get to the playoffs, but he is definitely definitely in a position to wreck things for other teams in that division with the roster he's got. So here we go into the overall. Let's read them from 1 to 16. At number 1, it's the Space Pirates, 6 and 3, a million points of scoring. Second, also from the West, the Queensland football team have the second most scoring and a tie for the best record. So they're 6 and 3 as well. 963 points have just edged out Scuba, who are also 6 and 3 with 959 points. That's close. And then Struggle Town, 6 and 3 as well, 952 points. In fifth place, it's the Carabao Kings. They're the last of the 6 and 3 teams, and clearly last with only 912 points. And then we get into the 5 and 4 teams with Jizzpots. 5 and 4, 1,013 points. Strangely, 4, 5, and 6 are all from the South Division. Then you get Jiggity Jigs. This is the third team from the West in at 7th at 5 and 4, 928 points. And then the Gnomes, 5 and 4. This is the second team from the East behind Scuba side. They have 927 points. And it's not till you get to 9th at 5 and 4 and the last of the 5 and 4 teams that you see the first team from the North appear. This is TC Squazmongers, and they've pulled a full game clear in their division. And they've got the top scoring in that division, not by a lot, by less than 10 points, but they are ahead of Tim, who's in 10th place, the best of the four and five teams who have 906 points. 
Corn Huskers, Ryan's side in 11, 4 and 5, 871 points. 12th is Playmaker. This is the last of the 4 and 5 teams with 866 points. And then we get into the 3 and 6s. This is Taylor, 915 points in 13th. And Mark going for Tua in 14th place with 869 points. Rounding it out, 15th and 16th are our 2 and 7th. Now look, having done all this historic stuff, having had a look at the playoffs, having had a look at what happened in last week, before we look at next week, Let's get into edition of Taylor Talk and just hear what the man's got to say about what happened with last week's calls and just see what his calls are this week. This guy's been making some bold statements and we want to just check in and see if he's backed it up and what he's going to say next. So come for a ride with me on Taylor Talk. Matty, I'm uh, I'm back, yeah, mate. and I'm I'm in for my I'm just gonna go straight into my results from last week. Not gonna I'm gonna cut the shit, and I'm gonna go straight Whoa. into my plays of the week from uh, from my waivers calls last week. Give the people what they want, Tay. That's the way. That's what I'm here <laughs> for, mate. We all know I'm here for that. Uh, so I'm gonna start with my Q, start with my QB. So I'll start yes. with Cam Newton, uh, 24.56. Uh, but please get rid of him now. Please get rid of him before he plays the Ravens next week. That is going to be stanky. That is going to be gross. Taylor nailed. Uh, so I had an honourable mention of Stafford. So funnily enough, the Staff infection looked like he might end up with a respiratory disease. But uh, COVID <laughs> decided to cut their losses and jump off him. So after his runny feces <laughs> performance... His only solace was being KO'd in the fourth quarter, so he may not remember this one. 8.44 points. That's a Taylor failed. Taylor failed. You know, we took our chances. Uh, he was an honourable mention, so he wasn't my actual start of the week, so I just thought I'd mention him in there. That's it. So, Jordan Wilkins, I'll start with from my running backs. Uh, as yep. mentioned, this was always going to be a gamble. Playing the Ravens was always going to be tough with a great rush defence. And with you know, a possible negative game script, which came true, the Colts had to abandon the run um, a bit in the second half to try and come back. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was active, so the gamble on his injury didn't pay off. But the positive from the game was he out-touched Taylor 11-6. So at the very yeah. least, or the, sorry, the very worst, he seems to be in a timeshare in a run-first team with a great offensive line, so it's not all bad moving forward. But 4.8 points, you would see as a failed in terms of that week. Taylor failed. That's the worst two words in fantasy football, isn't it? Hot hand approach. It is, and that's why I got out on Taylor straight away. It just straight away didn't work for me, and obviously I got pretty screwed on the Justin Jackson injury on the first play of the game um, with the trade. If if that didn't happen, I could could not have been happy with that trade. Um, I'm hoping because Justin Jackson tried to come back he actually might not be that bad, but you know that's a bit that's a that's for another discussion. But uh, JD McKissick was my honourable mention. So now this one worked out perfectly. I mentioned that he was very relevant in a PPR league based off his ability to receive out of the backfield, particularly yeah. with such issues at QB. They seem to be reliant on dumping off to the running back. McKissick has proven more than adequate in this area. He had 14 targets, which is amazing. Nine receptions for 65 yards and 12.7 points in our league. I was very happy to see my opponent leave him on his bench. Uh, so he's a, yeah. he's a guy moving forward that I think is very fantasy relevant. Taylor nailed. 
I think too with uh, Alex Smith looking like he'll be the presumptive starter there. Pass catching running backs and Alex Smith have gone together like eggs and ham, man. Put them together, they they work. I'll move to the wide receivers. So Marvin Jones stat line three for forty three and one. A stat line that you would be happy to take from a waiver wire pickup. Um, yeah. And he actually had a quarterback that really struggled. So to me that that line actually seems a bit better. The four targets was a little worrying, but Jones has always been a boom or bust play. And the fact that he pops up in the end zone so often makes him very relevant. Keep an eye on Stafford and Golladay's status, as they are both very relevant to Jones's future fantasy production. But I don't see any reason to pivot from him moving forward unless circumstances change or there's a terrible matchup. So my next guy was Darnell Mooney, who was an, another honourable mention. I picked up Mooney and decided to start him after Ridley succumbed to injury. And with Mooney looking good and playing the Titans who leak points at the wide receiver position. Overall, I was okay with his production. You have to temper your expectations when you have Foles as your QB, but Mooney got 11 targets. He went 5 for 43, which gives him 40-plus yards in three straight games. The Bears were also missing a lot of offensive linemen due to COVID, so Foles didn't have a lot of time to get Mooney going deep, which tempered his yards per catch. 6.8 6.8 points, so nothing flash, but in a year of misery for me, 6.8 doesn't look that bad. Like most of our receivers, he'll be um, definitely a match-up play moving forward. Yeah, and I think that's what you're looking for at your flex, right, is a guy that just, I'm desperate, I need to fling a guy in there, or, hey, my team isn't going how I wanted. I need a guy who's just all upside, who I can just plug in a week and just hope he gets a touchdown. That, that's Mooney in a, in a nutshell, right? I also picked up this guy off the waivers at Sterling Shepard. Um, so I feel like I'd shoot my shot at the guys I'd mentioned on my last week's pod, which was Mooney and Shepard. I, yep. I went for playing Mooney over Shepard purely based on matchup, but I was happy to see Shepard score 8.7 in a matchup against the number one overall defense against wide receivers. So it bodes well for his future. He has a matchup against the Eagles next week, so I'd make an early call that he would be in my team somewhere come week t- week ten. Well, yeah, okay. So you can recycle that guy. Love it. So I'll get through the next couple pretty quick. Uh, tight end Jared Cook, poo emoji. Uh, team didn't need him, and he fumbled. <laughs> my honourable mention was Trey Burton, double poo emoji, and that's all I've got there. Uh, <laughs> Taylor failed. With defense, uh, so I, I mentioned Pats, um, who were the only team to actually let the Jets score on them. Uh, three points was very <laughs> was very disappointing. Uh, I thought I'd have a mention because I also said that you'd pretty much play whoever the vinegar strokes were against. Miami actually yeah. did score a defensive touchdown, so <laughs> that, uh, that, that wasn't a bad call. So, uh, I think they got about eight points because they gave up a lot of points, but... Uh, getting that defensive touchdown was good for Mark. As I said, kickers, we all know how I feel about them. Taylor failed. So I'll move <laughs> on to my results on the Studley and Dudley teams of the week. Yeah. Uh, yeah unfortunately, I was wrong about the Studley team with $10 Booker finishing 11th. Uh, but yes. fortunately for Stephen, he still got the win. So I didn't completely won, right? put the mockers on him. So uh, I, I did worry that I was going to completely ruin team seasons by picking them to be the good team. And as well as I probably did sort of ruin his week, he still got the win. So, you know, he can, he's not going to end up with a pitchfork in my house, buddy, trying to terrorise <laughs> me. So good work, Steve, in the win. Now, fortunately, for multiple reasons, I got the Dudley team right with going for tour, putting up yeah. 58.86. 
definitely needed by me is I only put up 82.64, which is good for 12th on the in the league on the week. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Mark is okay though, as his Dolphins got a win over the Cards, so it's not all bad for the defending champ. Taylor nailed. He's doing okay. He's got occasional things to smile about. <laughs> That's it. He'll be right. I'm not shedding a tear for him. So uh, I'll go to my result for the boldish prediction of the week. And I yeah. nailed it. Absolutely Trust. nailed it. I've got five exclamation points written down. It could have been more, but I stuck with five. As a recap, <laughs> I said that Kamara, Murray, Jones and Fournette, none of them would reach 50 yards rushing. And that the last three players on the list I would be looking to pivot from wherever you could. Uh, those three guys averaged 5.2 points. Tampa combined oh. for eight yards rushing total. I know the game script oh. took its part, but I'll definitely take that as a win. Taylor nailed. Well, how well did they pass with Brady at 0.6 points on the week? And, and you're getting to face that as Mark's quarterback. I mean, gee, there was, Tampa did nothing right. Yeah, and, and Brady was one of the guys I actually put in Mark's team that I was a little bit worried about. I actually thought that was yeah. a good matchup for him. And I got one of the guys that I thought would go well in his team right. Uh, but Brady was just stanky. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Let's move forward. I got my this week's plays of the week. So we, oh, week we, ten, we it's a new week. That's it. We got through the uh, the last week's results. So let's uh, let's put me on the chopping block and see what I can do with this week. So, quarterback Jesus titty slapping Christ. If you don't have a current quarterback starter, you are in a world of pain this week because the ass clowns who are left are either terrible or they are half-decent QBs of terrible matchups. I consider wow. sharing post-shitting undies with Matt Ryan rather than picking one of these guys. <laughs> Gun to my head, I'm probably just dying. But for the good of the podcast, I'll look at Drew Locke. Against the Raiders, but he is atrocious for three quarters every week. That's going to be like riding a roller coaster after drinking a carton of milk. Try not to vomit <laughs> or shit yourself. There's also Carson Wentz against the Giants, but I've, I've mentioned how bad he looks earlier in the season. I believe ginger yeah. piece of shit was the exact word. <laughs> yeah, it has come he, up here. That may have come up. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be in some drop of that we've heard of. Uh, he's getting <laughs> yeah. some receivers back, so monitor to see if this helps him, but I have no trust in this Ronald McDonald lookalike. Stay out of the sun, Carson. <laughs> so we've got a huge moment here, my running back waiver pickup, and I'm talking to the perfect person. Your boy, oh, Duke don't. Johnson, baby. The third-round oh. extraordinaire, and clearly the better Johnson. Looks like he may get his long-awaited shot. The preseason MVP favourite and the favourite in all of our hearts may have an opportunity to be the guy this week. I say may because the lesser Johnson, David, I think his name is. I think he's some goober named David. Um, he's in the concussion protocol, so keep an eye on him. But I think at the very least that Beast Johnson will get an uptick on his normal workload. And against the Browns, who are a middle pack against the, I guess, the run and overall a bottom half defense, we will all be better people getting to watch that Adonis of a man get the respect he deserves and bang out a huge eight or nine points for his owner. No honorable mention needed for this, this position because it's too quick. Sit back and enjoy the show, baby. <laughs> Duke week like it's Shark Week. Oh, that's oh, so good. <laughs> mate, Shark Week's got nothing on this week. He's taking over. Taylor nailed. Wow. So this has come Shark- full circle. It's really come full circle. Here I am staring at a wave wire I'll never get to pick up from because Duke will be gone. And here I am after making all these moves to finally get David and he gets a concussion in the first quarter of that Jags game and he's gone. 
man. Okay, so I had that coming, and I deserved that. And uh, <laughs> I can't do anything except be, bathe in the glow after just yeah. cleaning off the waterbed stink to get that. Uh, is just delicious. So uh, I have nothing to say. Let's move on. <laughs> so I guess we'll go to wide receiver. So okay. I'll, this starts with an honourable mention, but I'm not going to take him because he's matchup. So I was within a bee's dick of bringing in Jacoby Myers into my team last week. Really? I just had no idea where to fit him in, um, as I'll have to let, as I would have had to have let go of Elshon, who's let me down harder than Philip Rivers' condom supplier. I've held on to him so long that it's hard to get out now, and I also need to look at my options at tight end for this week, as I have Hurst on by. But anyway, Myers is an honourable mention um, as they play the Ravens this week, who aren't going to give him the freedom that the Jets afforded him. But he's for sure worth a stash on your bench. I am looking far, far deeper in my starter of the week, and I'm actually going for a guy I brought up in the preseason as a sleeper, and someone I said that wouldn't necessarily start the season well as a rookie, but will come steaming home in the second half of the season, and that's Michael Pittman Jr. He's got the Titans, which is a very good matchup, which I've brought up before for wide receivers. Titans rank 31st in this position. The Titans are far better at stopping the run than the pass, so Rivers is going to have to look for a spark, and Pittman flashed signs last week against a tough Ravens secondary. T.Y. looks horrendous and is now carrying an injury and no one else has shown the ability to be the one so I think there's a big opportunity for Pittman here again like most wide receivers that are on the waivers QB play is lacking but Rivers may not have a choice but to make plays in this one I mean so he just came off his best game of the season at 7.6 points 4 catches 56 yards looking the part I don't know I spoke to James about this last week the sheriff gave me the ruling that there are absolutely no Colts wide receivers you want well, I think this week may have changed that. Sheriff, who's that guy? Never heard of him. I'm, I'm, I'm going against his ruling here. Stuff you, Sheriff. Uh, but I, in general, I, I like that he's trending in the right direction. I, I, I see what the Sheriff's saying in terms of staying away from the Colts wide receiver core. The good thing is, I'm looking at this guy as a good matchup this week. He's a guy that you can sort of make a decision on, sit him on your bench, play him if you need to, watch him sort of grow. I, yep. I've always thought that he has the best credentials in that wide receiving core for the Colts. And Rivers really needs a guy to step up because Hilton has just been, well, like, I don't even know how to explain that guy. He has just been an unbelievable disappointment. So he needs a guy to step up. And I think he is the guy moving forward. And if they get a, it's a tough team in general, the Titans, so they might get a good game script again. And I think he's just treading in the right direction. So have a look at, have a look at him. Uh, he, to me, has the biggest upside out of the guys I'm looking at. So that's why I put him in there. I'll uh, move on to uh, tight end. <laughs> so this is a position that I myself will need to look at this week. Uh, with Hurst on by, as I've mentioned earlier. In this shit heap, I think Jordan Reed has to be the guy. I know he only had one catch for three yards last week, but he only played 23% of snaps because he yeah. carried an injury all the way into the game. He got through okay and now has an extra week to prepare for the Saints who are 26th against the tight end position. He will split with Dwelly, but I believe Reed is the more explosive big play guy. So if you're looking for that touchdown, which you really need out of your tight ends when you don't have Kelsey, uh, it's I believe he's the right guy to go for this week. God, tight end is literally this, right? There's Kelsey, there's the other six guys who have the job to themselves that are... Ugh. 
And then there's everybody else who's in a big shitty soup that's just like something that's uh, that really hasn't ever thawed out over winter and now the spring's coming and it's starting to stink. That's kind of what tight end is, right? The Matt Ryan cleat suit. That's, that's basically <laughs> what you're saying. That is 100% there what it is. It is. So, <laughs> Matt Ryan um, cleat suit. I'll go quickly through this. Uh, defense, unfortunately, the Jets have a bye, so there's no easy pick here. <laughs> Uh, just go whoever the vinegar strokes again are playing against. Um, I'll give one honourable mention, though. Uh, I actually like the Saints, even though I just mentioned the tight ends with the uh, the Niners. I think I just don't trust Mullins, and I know he's getting a couple of guys back. It looks like Debo and Ayuk are probably going to be back. I just don't trust that offence, and even if they do find a way to score some points, I just I have this real feeling that the Saints are in for a defensive touchdown or just a couple of picks to give you the points you needed so uh, they're there one the Eagles against the Giants against Fumble Jones um, you know they're, they're also a play but yeah there, there are a couple I would actually mention but in general just go with what you've got kickers you know I don't care again who gives a shit about kickers oh, yep. wow we've got there we got through it how do you feel about your picks I feel okay. I mean, you're as good as you can feel about the waivers in a 16-team <laughs> Astro League. Oh, look, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that listen to this podcast go, what is this guy on? Uh, but in our, in our league, the waivers are just an absolute graveyard. So I need to really find some diamonds in the rough. So I was actually happy enough with my calls last week because it's really not easy. Uh, I don't mean to make excuses. That's not who I am, but I made excuses, so deal with it. Um, let's go to the next one. Uh, so my Studley versus Dudley team Studley. for week 10. Yeah. Here we go. So, again, this is very early on, so I'm gambling on what people's teams will look like. I'm going with a salad dweller here, as I know all too well myself how that feels this year. And this week it's Brendox. I'm calling him to go ham. I love Watson's form and his matchup. I believe Carson will be back. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. Just putting that out there. I don't know if everyone thought, <laughs> oh, this is Dr. Taylor Goodall talking with his absolute wonderful talk and so profound. But I am actually not a doctor, but I believe Carson will be back. Uh, Hunt seemed to actually be better when Chubb was in the game. So with Chubb coming back, I don't actually yeah. see that as a bad thing for Hunt. Uh, Michael Thomas is back, and he'll see more work than his first outing. We all knew that he was going to you know, not be the guy in his first game back. And even Tonyan could easily pop up for his score against the Jags. So uh, oh, yeah. he's got some other guys in there um, that I think they're okay. I just thought I'd bring up the ones I really like. And, yeah, I like his team this week. So good luck on getting that third win, mate. I'll move on to the Dudley, the, the call yeah. out of the week. And I'm sorry, Mike, but it's Al Shakal for this week. Uh, uh, Mike. Melvin Gordon has just looked like he's still drunk. Since he went full Captain Morgan and got behind the wheel pissed. He has Zeke on by who brings in AP, who is at the poop shoot end of a three-man timeshare. He also has Amari Cooper on by, which will either bring in a waiver wire pickup or move Devontae Parker down, who himself is a slight worry. To his arm looked better last week, but I still think the receivers at the stage of Miami have a lower ceiling than when Fitz was swinging his magic stick. Not a lot of depth either, so it's hard to see exactly where he goes. Assuming Ebron goes to tight end, which is as good as any person at the moment not named Kelsey. Yep. So I've got some optimism, though. 
if he plays, and I, I know he's playing you. <laughs> so he is, he yeah. I don't want to help him out too much, but I also do because, you know, screw you. <laughs> if he plays Goff instead of Newton, I'd consider that a very good play against a sack of shite Seahawks defense. I also don't mind Robbie Anderson against a snake-bitten Bucks secondary. The Bucks give up very little on the ground, so it's going to need to be in the air. And Anderson has proven very capable this year. Not to mention yeah. there's the CMC, not sure if he's playing. So if he's not playing, that just opens up more in the air. So I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, you're the Dudley team of the week. I did get this right last week, so for your sake, let's hope I'm completely wrong. Another guy who was being drafted like he died too was... Oh, T.Y. Hilton. He's a good receiver. <laughs> he actually doesn't look great. whole career has been defined by boom. Barkley. Or bust. Yeah. Or hurt. And to see him bang out 26 points was extraordinarily satisfying. A huge F.U. to the vinegar stroke. Well, so that's all we've got time for in this episode. We'll be back on Saturday, and we're going to have the Sheriff come through. We're going to preview Week 9 games, and then a very special episode on Monday. Monday, where we talk to Jerry, who is the owner, GM of the Gnomes franchise. He is currently eighth in the standings and on the verge of making a run for the playoffs. So you'll be interested to learn a little bit about him and his life outside of football. So come back and join us for both Saturday and Monday shows. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. If you've got a question for the Sheriff too, who appears on Saturday, please post it on anything that you see on Facebook and Instagram and we will get it to the sheriff so he can clear up his situation. Thanks so much guys and I'll see you soon. Play. Play it. This is the Astro League Fantasy Football Podcast. League specific news, information and stats with your obnoxious commissioner, Matty C.